0: om namo bhagavate vasudevaya om namo bhagavate vasudevaya om, om. janaatmanandashya jana jana salakaya chakshun milita Tasmai, tasmay shri gurave namaha panchaka upadvischa kripasindubhi evacha pate tnam bhagadebhyo namo namaha Well thank you for inviting me here. It's an honor to come and speak with you all It's your blessing upon me and I thank you for that. As just to reinforce what Mother Mohara said, happy New Year. It's like a a cultural event around the world, I think about everyone except China has their own new year but You know, they're on the other side of the world. (laughs) As they say, out with the old and in with the new. So I thought we would start the new year with a little bit of that consciousness in mind. Kicking out the old. It's in our line, actually, this kicking. Kicking away what's not desirable. Krishna himself started it. (laughs) When he was barely three months old. At three months, the child is taken out of the house, and this is a big affair. The newborn child isn't, doesn't get out much. <laughs> so <laughs> when he finally gets out, it's like a big, big deal. They invite Brahmins, and they have a big party, and they give away cows and have sacrifices, chant hymns. This was uh, Krishna's coming out day when he started kicking. He's just now getting to be three months. He's about to roll over and start moving about. Not quite there yet. Mother Yasoda, of course, is always taking care of Krishna nicely. She had fed him, suckled him, and uh, she had laid down with him. This is from Vishwanath Chakravarti's Tika on the 10th canto, on a cot, underneath a cart. She had laid down because he was a little tired. So she laid down with him on this cot. And, uh, they went to sleep. Well, she didn't really go to sleep, but you know how a mother is, you know. She'll act like she's sleeping to, to <laughs> settle the child. Krishna finally fell into sleep and uh, and she got up to socialize. She had gifts to give to the brahmins and thank yous to all the elderly gopis for showing up, and, and I'm sure making all preparations that uh, everyone would be nicely cared for and fed sumptuously when the time was right. And Krishna wasn't really that tired; he woke back up. <laughs> and she's out socializing, and uh, you know he's like, "I wasn't quite done eating, and the sleeping thing isn't working for me." and He he made some commotion. Uh, Didn't get your attention. I'll catch your (laughs) attention. Believe me. (laughs) So to catch her attention, he kicked the cart (laughs) that he was under. Uh, The cart was full of all kinds of utensils, gold and silver, all different metals, different sizes, and it... uh, it was actually actually weighed down with these. But it wasn't weighed down quite enough that he could reach it. So a demon, well, here comes the demons, <laughs> always rearing their ugly heads. A demon came and added his weight to the cart, of course, in the hope of creating some mischief. And that's a long story as far as all the demons going to create mischief with newborn children in that area because Kamsa was a little afraid, Big bad demon that he was, he was scared to death. So he he sent out his troops to to make sure that no newborn children would, uh, would survive and possibly give him trouble in the future course that came about by Narda because Narda is always trying to stir things up that's also another story but my story today is the demon weighed down the cart and Krishna was able to reach it with his foot so he kicked it over Krishna got Mother Yasoda's attention in fact everybody there was like wow this whole cart tumbles over both the wheels break off the pole that's at the front of the cart that's hooked to the animals to move it around that broke off. Everybody's like, ha, wh- "What happened? It must be must be something, some bad omen, or some. Uh, what exactly did they attribute it to? The, the stars weren't quite right; they weren't aligned properly. So immediately, cart." Goes over and the elders are like, well, we'll "Get the Brahmins in here! Come on, start chanting. We got we have to rectify this situation. We have to counter this situation. Uh, we have to uh, dissipate. And since the Brahmins are the purest in society, their purity, whatever a Brahmin, and, and it mentions Vishwanath mentions in his commentary that these these particular Brahmins were the purest." So much so that they had all mystic opulence, he points out. That means that whatever benediction they give manifests. So just like any profession, there's those that can actually pull it off and those that are, you know, neophytes kind of working their way up in the Brahminical class. Well, these Brahmins, these were the top of the class. The most talented, so they had these mystic powers and whatever benefit uh, they would give through their chanting, through their blessings, uh, would come about. So they counteracted the uh, the bad stars, and, uh, and then was off to all the elder gopas. Proceeded to put the cart back together, and these were the big men of the of the clan. Most strong, and uh, they repaired the cart, and it. uh, You know, they realized this had to be some pretty significant force to break a cart like this. I mean, we're having a hard time putting, taking everything off and fixing it, putting it back together. It weighs a lot. How could this possibly possibly happen? And uh, all the little kids are like, well, Krishna kicked the cart and it fell over. Yeah, right. Krishna kicked the cart and it fell over. They didn't take it seriously. As time goes forward in Krishna's Leela, they start to get it. But uh, that's another story, too. And that's not the thrust of our discussion today. Kicking out the old, that's the thrust of our discussion. And it's interesting Srila Bhaktivedenod Thakur in his book analyzes the various demoniac demons that actually are part of Krishna's prakat lila, his manifest lila. When he displays lila on the material plane for us to observe, that's called prakat. Uh, prakat is that lila that, that one would enter into in samadhi. And also, that Leela which one ultimately engages in, uh, in the transcendental realm, uh, the Vaikuntha realm. But when it's manifest, it's, it's referred to as Prakat. So, in looking at the Prakat Leela of Krishna, Srila Bhaktivedanta Thakur, in his uh, Sikhsamrita, he points out that this particular Leela, of kicking over the cart, he actually equates all the different killing of the demons with various impediments that sadhakas, the practitioners of devotional life, are confronted with how those various impediments to our progress are dissipated by Krishna. He also points out out a couple that are dissipated by Lord Balaram. And those are, are ones that we're kind of responsible for we have to put some real effort into. But for his dear devotees, Krishna dissipates so many so many of our of our impediments to making firm spiritual progress. And Bhaktivinoda Thakur he equates the different demons of Krishna's prakatlila in Braj and the dispensing of those demons with 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 those various Impediments that we may be confronted with, and this cart demon and this pastime, Krishna's turning over the cart, is representative, according to his commentary there, of uh, of pridefulness, on one hand, and also of anarthas, both old and new, Arthas, anarthas that are coming from our past uh, involvement with material nature, and our arthas that are coming up through the purification process. So I thought this would be a, a good time to look at having a proper conceptual orientation to the practice of, of devotional service, to the practice of bhakti, wherein we could start off the year anew with maybe a deeper understanding if possible of the true nature of bhakti bhakti's not like anything that uh, any other anything of this world actually you know, when i say it's not like anything of the world it's it's specifically not like anything that we're accustomed to in our material endeavors in material endeavor, there is, there is some action on our part. First there's some initial desire, then there's some action, and the action re- produces a result. And we either enjoy or suffer from that action. So we endeavor, humanity endeavors, in so many ways to perform so many actions under so many influences of the mixed modes of material nature. To accomplish something, and most everyone, and most everything that's endeavored for, is to give us some pleasure, some enjoyment, some some uh, better uh, position. So you would say, well, what is what is the actual difference then with bhakti? Bhakti, I see the devotees; they're endeavoring making some effort and uh, they have an aspiration that they're they're striving for the difference is the fact that within the material realm those endeavors by the living entity for some some accomplishment are basically fulfilled in proportion to the effort and it's more or less a mechanical process and basically we see everything in the world like that, do we not? Even even the scientific reactions and reactions, uh, the different agencies within the world, it seems that there is there's there's some action and then there is some result in, in direct proportion, direct proportion to that action. So what do they say? In science, they say, well, for every action, there's an opposite and equal reaction. Now, the sages, the rishis, the sadhus, they, they say yes, and they take it a little bit further. The scientist stops. For every action, there's an opposite and equal reaction within the realm of the physical sciences whether it be chemistry or physics or biology, the Rishi say, well, you know, it even goes so far as to the actions of the living entity. And they introduce to humanity the concept of karma. So therefore, it's like, well, for every action, there's an opposite and equal reaction on the living entity. So if I am cruel, or if I am kind, if I this or that, whatever <laughs> I do within material life, there is a reaction. If I'm a good person, then I get a good result, and if I'm a bad person, well, I get a bad result. And of course, based on the, the level of intelligence of the living entity, especially in humanity based on their level of intelligence people accept or don't accept such a thing now I'm sure if you went to the common criminal he would say well yeah that just doesn't apply to me you're never going to catch me but the sages are going to say well you might actually get away with it for this whole life but it's going to catch up with you in the next life and they have a whole science and they present this and then all of a sudden the law of karma so, for every action, there's an opposite and equal reaction for us, as a living entity within the material world, just as within the physical realm of electrons and neutrons and physics, chemistry, biology, as I said. You put two living entities together and there's an offspring, so an action and a reaction, now we have the law of karma and then along comes bhakti and the whole thing is turned upside down because bhakti doesn't work like that one is introduced to bhakti by some good fortune so we've gone a kind, over the, kind of gone over this we gave some classes here a couple years ago on Madhurya Kadambani talking about the causeless nature of bhakti. And I thought it would be good to, to kind of revisit that because that conception is so significant in our approach to devotional life. So very significant that we understand that it's not... A result, direct result-oriented benediction bhakti. It's not coming by our endeavor. There's nothing we can do to receive it. It's fully independent like Krishna is fully independent. So now many would say, where does this good fortune, Yadrichaya is the term, Where does this good fortune come from? So Vishwanath in the beginning of Madhurya Kadamari, he poses this question. Well, does this good fortune come from the good works of men? If I'm a good person, then I open up and there's a possibility of bhakti coming into my life. And he discounts that. He says, well, you If we say it's the result of your good actions, then bhakti becomes subordinate to your material affairs. If you're good, if you're kind, if you're generous, then bhakti will come to you. That's a result. That's the good fortune that comes from your good actions. He says, no. Asuna says, no, it's not that. Well, okay then Krishna has to show you some favor. Well, wait. Krishna is... We see bhakti doesn't come to everybody. Not everybody has some interest. Not everyone associates with with the sadhus and the devotees. So if just some people were getting this good fortune, that would mean Krishna is discriminating between one and another. Well, can God really be that kind of a God where he says, okay, you, we're going to treat you nicely. You, no. Sorry. You I like. You I don't like. You I give bhakti, not you. What kind of a God is that? So, the they discount that. No. Krishna cannot be the source of bhakti. Well, then what is it? Well, the source of bhakti is Krishna's devotees. All right. So is using them as, the, as his agent. He's inspiring them to go and preach and by their inspiration, they're preaching to you and they're not preaching to you. So God's behind the scenes controlling it. <laughs> they say, no, that's not the nature of bhakti. Well, how does this bhakti work then? What actually is creating this good fortune? So Vishwanath points to a verse from the Srimad Bhagavatam. And in this verse, the characteristics of the mudjam, the middle stage, devotee are explained. He has particular characteristics. What are those characteristics? He recognizes the Supreme Lord and he endeavors to please him and to love him with all that he has. Fully dedicated. Fully surrendered to him. So he loves God. And, well, where there's God, there's God's devotees and he associates with the devotees. And he's nourished by that association because they increase his love for his Lord. And to the people that are innocent, he spreads good fortune. Yadrichaya. He gives them some benefit of bhakti. He instills in them the seed of bhakti. What is the seed of bhakti? The seed of bhakti is the inspiration to perform the practice bore from our association with those that are engaged in the practice. This is the seed. We are inspired to engage ourselves. Seeing someone who's completely engaged, we see there is something there. So we're inspired in that. That plants in us an initiative. The bhakti lata beach. And for people that don't, that are inimical towards the Lord, and are hateful towards the devotees, the Majjah wants nothing to do with them. He avoids them because they do not appreciate his Lord, nor do they appreciate those people who are nourishing his love for his Lord. So there's no bhakti given there. So that the innocent, they're getting bhakti. They're getting bhakti from someone who has bhakti. The Majjhimadakari, the middle platform. Which bhakti is that? Which which devotee <laughs> is that? Well, we know the Majjhimadakari can be coming from either side. He can be coming on his way up. He can be past the stage of Nista and actually at a stage of a middle stage of his practice he's 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 the anarthas and what are anarthas we've gone over this anarthas are what misconceptions bad habits he's beyond anartha nivritti anarthas have passed and he's at this stage of steadiness and love is starting to manifest ruchi asakti pray Bhava, Prey. So he's coming to that stage by his association with somebody who gave him the inspiration, the seed to practice bhakti. And there's another class of Majjh He's not on his way up. His heart has become so soft and he has become so immersed in praying. As to be considered an uttama adhikari. He's fully in love with Krishna. And then that full love, he has... He can't forget the dream. I'm sorry. The nightmare of material existence. And he feels true compassion. In that feeling of true compassion, he's willing to forsake... Frame and its characteristics. He doesn't forsake the love, but the characteristics of that total immersion in love for the Supreme, he's willing to set those aside in order to spread bhakti to others. He's willing to take on the characteristics of the Madhya and the discrimination of the Madhya Adhikari and spread Krishna consciousness. When we t- talk of this, it's a little confusing, so I'll just give you one thing from Rupa Goswami, from his Upadeshamrita. In Upadeshamrita, the characteristics of the different classes of devotees, the Kanista, the Majjama, and the Uttama Adhikari, are given. And in speaking of the Uttama Adhikari, there's one specific characteristic That is is his nature. He's devoid of the propensity to criticize others. Well, when we talk about being devoid of the propensity to criticize others, what are we speaking of? That means he doesn't see any distinction between one and another. So he doesn't see one person is pious and one person is demoniac, one person is inclined to God. He doesn't see those distinctions. They're not no longer part of his character. They say that we see everybody according to our consciousness. His consciousness is so pure that he doesn't see distinctions. He doesn't even have the propensity, according to Bhaktivedanta Swami's translation, the prepen- imagine that. He doesn't even have the propensity to criticize another person. Well you can't discriminate between the innocent and those that are adverse to Krishna and his devotees without discrimination. So therefore it said that that Uttama Adhikari he comes down to spread Krishna consciousness. The other Bhakta that's spreading who's at the middle platform he's coming up and he's given up a Narthas and he's at the middle platform. So, he's at least at Nista, Ruchi, Asakti, Prem. He's coming like that. So, he's giving because he has this fine discrimination. He can see, I can plant a seed here, and there's no hope over there. I mean, really. Except, there are some exceptions. Certain personalities, no matter what, no matter what someone's background is they can plant that inspiration that seed to engage in bhakti how powerful that bhakti has to be to approach someone like that how powerful? as spiritually powerful as (laughs) Balaram so we see Nityananda he went into the most crass place where no one else would go that's where he went to preach so much so that they attacked him, brought blood to his forehead. Sri Chaitanya came <laughs> in his mood of the, as the supreme personality of Godhead, chakra in hand. I'll dispense with these guys, <laughs> lickety split. No, Balaram, no, 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 no. Wait a minute, you're coming as a devotee. Okay, mm-hmm. you're not. Remember. You're, you're coming as a sadika. you're coming as, as a practitioner of devotional service. We don't kill the demons that way now. We have another way of killing. We kill their demoniac mentality. So this unique, I mean, just, just to think of the uniqueness of the entrance of bhakti into humanity, into human society, it's coming through one channel the channel of Krishna's devotees and not all of his devotees not those that don't yet have full qualification and not those that are so much in love that, that they cannot see anything but that love no, from that middle class devotee who's discriminating realizing what it means to receive mercy You can't give what you haven't got. And those devotees have gotten mercy. It's given them devotional life and they wanted to give it to others. Krishna does not give us bhakti. Bhakti is completely independent of Krishna. How independent? Independent enough to control the Supreme. That's a whole other class or two, or a hundred, I mean really, when we talk about the qualities of bhakti and how there is a force more powerful than God? How do we understand that? It's uh, incomprehensible when we look at bhakti. In reading a commentary on Madhurya Kadamani, the commentator gives some interesting example there. He said, there's a logic we can use and there's, there's different logics there. We could go into a whole analysis of the various logics. Logic, when we say logic, we mean evidence that's reliable to us. These Gaudias, they're very particular about where they, where they take their evidence from. They just don't take it from anybody or from anything or any logical explanation. Specifically, our main pramana... Our main evidence is what? As Gaudiya Vaishnavas, our main evidence is Shruti, Smriti, Puranadi. We take our, this is the, the topmost evidence. But this commentator, he said, there's also another evidence. He said, we can see that bhakti is so strong that when someone becomes Krishna's lover, he actually controls the Supreme Lord with that love what's what's the logic in that he said there's a, a specific logic we, we can employ to arrive at that conclusion because we can see that by evidence and by Puranic stories that this actually happens that Krishna is controlled by his devotees love and he brings so an example is given you see David data he's a big boy Fact, he's a little overweight. So we see him every day, but we never see him eat. And He's still overweight, but he never. Where, we, don't, we don't see him eat. So what? There has to be something happening here, because it doesn't make sense that he's so big, but he never. You can never see him eat. What's going on? So this particular evidence is, well, he must be eating at night. We have to arrive at a logical conclusion. We know, we read the Shastra, we hear so many verses, and we know even with our logical mind, if there is a God, there's nothing superior to him. He is the strongest, the most beautiful. He owns everything. He controls everything. Not a blade of grass moves without his sanction. Yet we see he subordinates himself to his devotee. Doesn't make sense. What well, doesn't make sense? That David Dodd is so big, but we never see him <laughs> eat. <laughs> so we'll accept this logic. I forget the exact Sanskrit term for the logic. What I wanted to share with everyone today is this this ideal of our practice. That what actually are we doing here? Are we trying to do things so that we get good fortune as a result of those things? If that's our approach to bhakti, that's a little off. We can't, and I mentioned this to Guru Maharaj the other day. I said, because he's asked me to, to to give repeated lectures on the, this Madurya Kadamati at uh, at Sargahi and go through it, and then he has a few other books I have to go through. But I said, yes, I've come to the conclusion after studying this again and again and again. You know, you just can't go into Vaikuntha. Like, with your jack boots on. You know what that is. It's what they called the the followers of Hitler. The way they goose-stepped. What it means is you can't force yourself. You can't perform a ton of charity. A lot of austerities. You can't become the best moralist and think that's going to give you bhakti. But I see in the bhaktis, they are always giving charity to everyone. Mm -hmm. They are the most moral people I've come across. The most charitable, the most moral, the most austere. You're saying this doesn't help. Well, actually, if we listen to Jiva Goswami, he's very adamant on the point. It doesn't help. But the point is, these characteristics that we observe in modern humanity, in humanity at large, these characteristics, they follow bhakti like maidservants. They follow. Can I serve? This turns... The whole concept that we have ingrained in our nature on its ear, doesn't it? It's not an endeavor to be a good person, a moral person. Well, what are we doing here? Why? What are we doing when we follow this ninefold process of devotional practice? Shravanam, kirtanam, vishnu, saving them It's not tapa, it's not dana, no, smaranam, saving What are we doing? What is the process? There's If there's nothing we can do, if it's not a result-oriented program like we're used to in the material world, what's going on here? Because... I notice that guru is coming in, people are being inspired and they're taking and he's saying now I want you to do this, this, and this, and it looks like morality, give up this killing of animals, you know, don't take intoxication, uh, no illicit sex, no gambling. Uh, In fact, you need to do things that bring these principles of truthfulness, cleanliness, austerity, and mercy into your sphere of activity and anything that's not like that you need to throw out. Sure seems like morality to me. Yes, it seems like morality. But the fact of the matter is... What are we doing? It's not that the result is going to come from those endeavors. Oh boy, this guy's way off. What the hell are you talking about? <laughs> but the fact of the matter is, where's bhakti come from? It comes from the bhakta. He is the avenue, he is the. Cr- he is the dispenser of the Kripa Shakti of the Supreme Lord when it comes to Bhakti the mercy potency of the Lord is coming through the devotee what am I doing? I am trying to culture my heart my being in a way that I can receive that mercy that's what I'm doing I'm not working, I'm not chanting my rounds to get Krishna. I'm chanting my rounds to get the mercy of Krishna's devotees. I'm not following these regulations to become a morally just and righteous person in society. I'm following these because these things please the devotees. They see my sincerity and my sincerity can lead to their benediction of bhakti to me. This is the mystery of devotional service. And we have to readjust our whole mentality around this understanding our devotional life lives as a subordinate player in the hands of Krishna's devotees. Krishna's devotees dispense it to us. Therefore, we never do anything to in any way jeopardize our full surrender to Krishna's pure devotees. And don't, there's no need to actually discriminate because all of them are eventually going to be pure. The only thing that's separating them from purity right now is material time. And material time, well, guess what? <laughs> Nothing material can affect bhakti. So we don't discriminate. The Kanista discriminates. Don't remain a Kanista then. Don't say, this devotee I serve and this devotee I don't. No. We serve all devotees. We don't serve them equally. We serve them according to qualification. We serve them according according to a social thing so that we satisfy the atheists. But even at the Rajasuya, Krishna, he washed everyone's feet. Krishna! How could he wash everyone's feet? Well... He was the only one that was truly, absolutely, beyond any question of a doubt, prideless. Only a person in that supreme position could take on that service. That means he worshipped Sisupal's feet to Rajasuya, everyone that came, Chantavakra. These are amazing things. When we look at the nature of love on the transcendental platform, it's beyond anything that we can conceive of. So, let's kick out these misconceptions that can impede our understanding of what we need to do to advance to pure devotional service. It's not that you're the most austere, that you give the most, that you do the most. It's that you are the most surrendered. Krishna says at the end of Bhagavad Gita, Sarva Dharma Parityasya, throw out this religious orientation. Just surrender unto me. I will protect you. So, we surrender to him (laughs) by serving his devotees. And what's what's in the commentary by Bhaktivedanta Swami to this last significant instruction in Bhagavad Gita? Saranagati is brought out. Surrender. What are the characteristics of that sweet surrender? I'm accepting those things that are favorable to Bhakti, To bhakti, but bhakti is fully independent. What's favorable to her? What's favorable to her is serving her devotees who have the bhakti that we want. We're kicking out things that are unfavorable, that they don't like. Not that we don't like, not that human society dreams moral or immoral. They're completely independent in this regard. Let's kick out the misconceptions where... We look at the practice of pure, unalloyed devotional service with a religious orientation. That will not serve us well. We must have the proper conceptual orientation based upon, actually, the independent nature of bhakti and its residing in the heart of Krishna's devotees. And we serve them selflessly. Our love will blossom. And we will be able to also distribute this love to others. In the process, we will no longer be influenced by those (coughs) bad habits that we want to kick out the beginning of every year. Thank you so very much. Any questions? I have a question um, you were saying that, um, uh, you know we, we talked about this in so many other classes and about you know there's nothing we can do to be qualified for deeds, but um, and it's coming through the devotees but we, we have to have some don't we have to have some desire for you know the supreme in some way even if we're like unconscious of it right but where did that desire come from when you first acquired the desire, the intent to become a devotee, what stimulated that desire? Well, the contact of another. Yes, you see a devotee, and you see you see the love in their heart. It may be manifest in their body. It may it may they mean it. So many things in the words they speak, in the way they act. Somehow, you know this this person is a lover of God. So that seed the bhakti-lata is coming causelessly what did you have to do with it? you were a, an observer and that good fortune came your way by that devotee's mercy what about the kind of person that is very isolated and secluded and you know maybe doesn't even have contact with devotees but there's some there's some seed for love of God in that person so like, it can get stimulated like i was just curious, like, how that, you know, I mean, I understand... There has to be some background. Mm -hmm. There has to be some, some. We call that Sukriti. Mm -hmm. It comes from life to life. It's coming through the devotees, though. Mm -hmm. Bhakti comes through Krishna's devotees. I was just wondering, so Bhakti gives Bhakti, so... You've already got, let's say, you already have the seed, and then um, does the seed just grow, but it also, you have to do devotional service, in the more you serve... Well, now Krishna's in the package. Yeah, okay. So now Krishna, now Krishna, now he sees that a devotee has taken interest. Mm-hmm. When the devotee's taken interest, I take interest. Mm-hmm. Where I take interest, everything ends up. Success. Okay, so it's not like... The more you serve the devotees, like the devotees, um, because you just don't neglect you, them, then they give you more bhakti and it grows like that. It's a transcendental operation, right? it's a transcendental <laughs> operation for sure. And, uh, yes, we we serve the devotees, uh, but I was just wondering what if you're, what if you, I mean, I'm not, but what if you are doing all kinds of service and you're making a lot of sacrifices for pleasing mm-hmm. the devotees, but. You know, maybe the devotees don't even know it, and um, somebody knows it. Yeah, so the Krishna <laughs> knows it. So that's how your bhakti increases like that, right? And also, those devotees that are are fully situated in in, uh, in the mudjam and uttama platform, they're well aware of everything. Mm-hmm. Their aware awareness is not something that uh, that we can measure with our with our mundane uh, mental ruler but their awareness is certainly there so they're still being introduced uh, or affected by a devotee even if they just come upon Prabhupada's teacher yes there is There is that unknowing what do we call that unknowing that uh, Yes, it's not. It's not. We 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 don't yet know right. that we opened the door for a devotee, but right. he he was he he acknowledged that. Thank you. That thank you means everything in the world to your future spiritual prospect. Yes, where right. you touch that book, right? It's that potent, right? That powerful within this mundane world of matter. Krishna's external potency. Mm-hmm. So once we bring the transcendental, the Sarup Shakti into this realm, which is so much more powerful than the Jiva, even the Jiva Shakti. We know how powerful a Jiva Shakti is. How powerful can a Jiva Shakti be? Well, in Bhagavatam, we look to the example of Haranyakasi Pu. By his austerities... He had all the demigods quivering. <laughs> Inconceivable. Yes, ma'am. You um, used the word pramana. Is it because me, it, it means evidence. Or? Yes. Sir. Yeah. Do mm-hmm. um, you want to ask this? Oh, I'm um, sure. You had so so we understand that to, through devotion we're not seeking a result, but I'm just wondering. You had mentioned. Um, the devotee, when he practices uh their their bhakti practices their devotion and for specifically for the other devotees he seeks the see... the result of pleasing right right that that and that plea through through giving that pleasure to Krishna's devotee yeah uh you know the devotee may be may may well benedict us and as i said Krishna has specifically chosen his madhyamadikaris as the dispenser of his mercy potency. Right. Kripa Kripa Shakti, it's called mercy shakti. The power of his mercy comes, at least in the dispensation, dispersion of, of bhakti through the madhyamadikari. Right, right. That that I understand. Okay. But, so, but by receiving a benediction of these devotees, I mean mm-hmm. that's. Uh, a result in a way but we're just that's not the goal is the result but this the is practice just, yeah that, it's fun. Dangerous. it's funny yeah. it's funny because we look at it and we realize that the practice and the goal of the practice the more we advance are the same thing right. Right. we do bhakti to get bhakti and as the misconceptions and the habits from time immemorial that have driven us away from uh, have not allowed us to have bhakti as those dissipate then we recognize more and more that there's 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 no distinction it's not like we're going to do bhakti and we're going to go to heaven go to krishna no actually once we've purified ourselves we could have Visions like that of Bhakti Vinod Thakur, where he said, I saw my home become Vaikuntha. He didn't have to leave his home. Mm Vaikuntha came to him. It's Mm -hmm. here already. Mm -hmm. Why aren't we seeing it? Mm -hmm. we got a little dirt. (laughs) Chetodarpana Marjanam. We have to clean the heart. And we've been given a practice by the devotees to do that cleaning. Is that chanting doing the cleaning or is the devotees seeing that we're chanting nicely cleaning? Is it the moving of the air that's cleaning the heart? Or is there something more? So now we go into the transcendental realm. How does bhakti work? It's following the devotees. In fact... I won't waste my time looking it up. There's one verse, uh, I believe it's from Jiva Goswami's uh, Bhakti where he even even mentions Japa as not, as as not giving the result. So we say, well, wait, that doesn't make sense. You have to, and here again, on a deeper class, if we were studying more, we can go into this later. Um, I mean, we really need to enter into this understanding because you'll find verses in the Bhagavatam that say piety, austerity, mercy, all these things result in bhakti. And then there's another verse, all the piety, all the mercy, all the austerities you can perform don't result in bhakti. What's going on? Now, there's an interesting section in the Madhurya Kadamani where Vishwanath takes up that very argument. And he shows that the verse that says those things create bhakti, they create bhakti for the person that's seeking liberation. Because without the benediction of bhakti, so bhakti comes, but not preim bhakti, not the bhakti that the gaudi is, not we, what we aspire for, but that little bit of bhakti that allows them to become liberated from material existence. So that their practice of jñāna can become fruitful. Krishna gives that little bit of bhakti. This class today has not been about that little bit of bhakti. This class has been about vraj-bhakti, prema-bhakti. So when we see those verses, we need good guidance to understand. Otherwise, Well, there's a contradiction. Here in the Bhagavatam it says that, and here it says something entirely different. So, with a commentator like Vishwanath, with a qualified spiritual master, he can point out these distinctions, and we can understand things with the proper conceptual orientation. Does that answer your question? Totally. Well thank you, that was really wonderful. Thank you Julie. Thank you Julie. Thank you.